Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. All week long, we have been reading together from 2 Samuel 18. And uh, if you would, find that on your listening sheet. Looks like this. We're going to read aloud together 2 Samuel 18, 9 through 12. So if you would, find that and stand, and we're going to read this aloud. This, then, is the text for today. Now Absalom happened to meet the servants of David, for Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him kept going. When a certain man saw it, he told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Then Joab said to the man who had told him, Now behold, you saw him. Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? And I would have given you ten pieces of silver and a belt. The man said to Joab, Even if I should receive a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not put out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king charged you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Protect for me the young man, Absalom. May God bless the reading of his word. If ever there was a soap opera storyline in the Bible, we have found it. This week, as we've been reading this soap opera, there are a number of chapters leading up to chapter 18 that help set the stage for where we are. And in those chapters leading up to 2 Samuel 18, you, you see they are filled with these wild swings of palace intrigue and human error. And, and as all of this unfolds, the errors just compound on themselves and lead to destruction. And it's the same kind of errors that have come to define most every human kingdom's end that ever was. They fall in this kind of way. You know, it's a sad reality that most of us don't want to uh, admit, but our human leadership is frail, weak at best, and often withers under the responsibility of leading well. You see this happen in Second Samuel. We, we, we go back in time some 3,000 years or so in history. And, and as you read through these chapters, like Second Samuel 13, all the way up to chapter 18, there, there are countless headlines that would dominate our news cycles. 
And, and you see these countless headlines that, that show up throughout the scriptures, things like rape of a king's daughter, a son turning his back on his father, the ruling king being banished to the wilderness while a man throws stones at him, publicly stolen concubines, a brutal battle, an army commander stabbing the king's son in the heart three times. The, the media of the day must have been salivating over all the clicks they would get as they told and retold these stories of terror that we love to read. You see, all of that intrigue and all of that human error are gold for a reporter. All of these kinds of things, they're, they're catnip for the public. We love it. We love to read it. We love to watch it. But there's a distinct problem as we read through these chapters. A fundamental human problem that is heartbreaking. And it's a significant issue that we still face today. Every nation faces it. Every government faces it. Every politician faces it. Our families face it. Every one of us face the same problem. Even 3,000 years later. See, we see here that all people everywhere will lie, cheat, and steal to get power. And when they do, they will abuse it. You see, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, th this is what people devolve into. And, and this is exactly this picture that we see of David here in 2 Samuel is, is exactly how nations circle the drain in their own sin leading to their destruction, their demise. You know, as you read through this text, there's, there's all kinds of shocking things that stand out. One of those, though, is this that we need to explain. As you read this text, there, there are two forces that are coming to a head. They're, they're clashing in this wilderness. But you read, there's an army with David, and then there's the nation of Israel. And, and we stop and we ask, why is David fighting Israel? I mean, isn't, isn't David the king of Israel? Hasn't he been the king of Israel for a long time? Why are, why are David's men now fighting against the armies of Israel? See, this is why we need to go back and read those previous chapters and what we see when we start in 2 Samuel chapter 13 is an unfortunate and tragic circumstance. Terrific. David has many children. One of his sons ended up raping one of his daughters. And another one of his sons took that daughter in and sought vengeance for her. After that, King David refused to talk to his son Absalom, the one that had defended his daughter. And out of that, Absalom took out his frustration on his dad by stealing the throne from him. Absalom, there, there was years of frustration between this father and son, and the son went about this business of slowly chipping away at his father's image so that he could steal the throne from him. 
And over time, he did just that. He told everybody that would listen, all the people that were coming in to talk to David, all the people that needed judgments, people coming into Jerusalem, he told everybody coming in exactly what they wanted to hear. He was playing politics. He tickled their ears, and he told all of those people coming to see his dad, I will take care of you, and told them exactly what they wanted. And in that way, he was able to steal the throne from his dad, and David is banished out to the wilderness. And so we find David fighting Israel. You know, in these kinds of terrible circumstances, you see the effect of sin often we romanticize sin or we make sin as something less than it is. But, but sin is a terror. Sin brings destruction into our lives. And, and the effect of sin that compounds upon other sins begins this spiral of destruction. And, and the pain here and what you see in these pages is even when we try to fix it, when, when we bear up and, and we come up with our best possible solutions for fixing these problems that our sins have caused, we end up making it worse. Absalom make, ended up making everything worse as he tried to defend his sister. You see, what we have to reiterate as we come to the whole of Scripture and we, we study these pages of the text, Scripture teaches page in and page out that you cannot fix the problems that your sin has caused. Everyone in here has let sin into our lives and sin has been destructive to us and to our families. And the, the pain of that reality is you are not strong enough and you are not capable enough to fix it. For, for all of the destruction that's been wrought in your life and your family, you are not capable of fixing that problem. And when we try to go about our ways of fixing those problems, we always end up making it worse. You see, there are many lasting and compounding consequences of sin. And when we come up with our own solutions to fix it, we are torn to pieces. You look at King David's life. Look at King David here. King David is considered the height of Old Testament leadership and kingship. He, he is the model by which we, we talk about leadership in the Old Testament. And this is his life. In fact, his, his life and his, his rule is coming to an end. He's, he's getting older now. And all that we see and what we read in these pages are, are cancerous sin killing his children one by one. And what we recognize is if, if King David, the, the epitome of leadership in the Old Testament, if, if King David himself the great warrior who, who conquered kingdoms and expanded Israel's borders beyond what they imagined, this conquering king of Israel, if, if he could not fight off the devastating consequences of sin, none of us can. Sin had ripped his family apart. And in this, this moment in the text, he has lost everything, even his throne. If he can't fight off sin, where is our hope? You know, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. We find it enticing to watch this kind of thing. These soap opera kinds of sins. We, we like watching the soap opera sins unfold. 
Like we, we'll, we'll turn on the TV to watch people's lives burn to the ground. We'll read every article with a salacious headline and revel in their downfall. But what Scripture teaches us is this sin, these soap opera sins we see, it's heartbreaking. It is devastating to everyone involved. This is terrible for this family. And it will painfully affect even those hearts that enjoy watching it from afar. Sometimes we like to indulge sins in this way. If you give sin any opening, it's devastating. You know, one of the things that, that happens as we indulge these kinds of things, there, there are some, even in the church, who think this is what an exciting life looks like. That these kinds of soap opera sins are what bring excitement into mundane life. But let me assure you, whatever thrill is derived from sin, or whatever thrill is derived from watching this kind of sin, almost immediately devolves into the terror of destruction. I mean, just look at King David's life here. Sin had done the unthinkable. Sin had done what no other person had been able to do to David, what no other kingdom had been able to do, what no other king had been able to do. David had been conquered, not by an invading army, but by cancerous sin. See, sin had pulled the most powerful king in Israel's history off his throne and threw him into the wilderness. It was awful. But one of the things that we know about David, we see is is he's called a, a man after God's own heart. There's some of the ways that he deals with this. If you'll look back with me, 2 Samuel 15, let's, let's go back in this story a little bit. There are moments where we see King David listening to the Spirit. 2 Samuel 15, look at 30, 31, 32. David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. His head was covered and he walked barefoot. All the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. You get the, the end of the last sentence of verse 31. David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. Then 32, it happened as David was coming up to the summit where God was worshipped. Then look over at chapter 16. Move over to the next chapter. Look at at verse 12. So this is David's response. David is being cursed. This guy had been throwing rocks at him. Verse 12. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. Recognize what David's doing here. His life 
is at a tragic low. This is one of the lowest points of his leadership. One of the lowest points of his life. And in this pain, David still seeks the Lord. That's, that's one of his great examples for us. That when life and leadership turn sour, he runs to the Lord. David doesn't seek revenge. David isn't looking for a quick fight. I mean, that, that's what our flesh does. That, that's, that's what Absalom had done. Uh, our, our flesh, when, when, we're, when we're caught in a corner, we have a knee-jerk reaction to, to fight and get our revenge now. And for all of David's faults, and, and I will see, say through this story, David is at fault multiple times in this story, but for all of his faults here, when he's kicked out of the kingdom, he waits upon the Lord. It, it says here in 15, he waits on the Lord and he, he gets down on his knees and he prays. He goes to the mountain of worship so that he can find his God. And it sounds like in those moments as he's, he's going up to the Mount of Olives that he's now mourning. You see, instead of seeking revenge for this horrific things, or these horrific things that have been going on in his life, he mourns over the sin and pain that's in his family. He's mourning over his failure as a father. He's mourning over the anger that has fueled his sons. In this moment, as David is mourning and weeping, he, he's facing his failure and he's turning to the Lord. And when we're faced with, with terrible difficulty in this life, there's no better place for us to go than to run to the Lord, to run to his mountain of worship and to seek his face, to praise him and say, God, intervene. Pray to the Lord our God to work as only he can work. See, most of the time, our natural reaction is to behave like Absalom, to take things into our own hands, to, to have this, this strong-arm approach where we're going to strong arm our best solution that we can come up with. But David doesn't do that. He waits upon the Lord, knowing that God's intervention is the only intervention that matters. You know, it's interesting, as you, you work through these chapters, there's a, a difficult back and forth as you work through all the intrigue all the error, all the soap opera sins. It, it, it's hard for us on the surface of it to see who's in charge. It, it looks like for a little while that Absalom is in charge. When you, when you work down, you're getting closer to 18, it looks like David is regaining power. All of this looks like it's caught in the hands of men until you get to 2 Samuel 18, verse 8. For the battle there was spread over the whole countryside, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. In verse 8, we find this remarkable battle footnote. We're being reminded of something here. It says, that day, more than 10,000 soldiers were killed in the forest by the forest. 
Now, that can mean a number of different things. On, on some level, creation is rising up and defeating the army of Israel. And one of the things it tells us, it does give us one clue about, about one of the ways the forest was killing people that day. It was as if all of these men were a cavalry and they're, they're riding through on their mules full speed ahead into battle. But this particular battleground is a thick forest and the trees are winning the day. And, and what you see, it sets the stage for the death of Absalom. So this is King David's son who had stolen the throne from him. It, it says that he's caught He's trapped by this limb of a giant oak tree. And it's as if God himself had reached down and grabbed the man by his head and lifted him up. And as the text says, he was being held between heaven and earth. As headline grabbing as that scene is, it holds a deep truth for us. I want you to notice this. God's intervention is greater than any force on this earth. It tells us uh, back in, in chapter 17 and later in chapter 18 that God heard David's prayer. And, and what we see is that God's strength is greater than any force on this earth. It's greater than any man of this earth. And most importantly for you and I, and most importantly for them, God's power is mightier than any and all of our sin. The power of Satan himself, the power of Satan plus his minions, minions, the power of Satan, his minions, temptation, every sin we have ever committed, that power is nothing in comparison to our God, creator of heaven and earth. You see, when we read through stories like this, where sin has taken such deep root that everything is chaos and, and everything looks like this painful devastation of life on this earth. It looks like to us, sin is too overwhelming. The sin is a present force of destruction that is not deterred by our actions. It's not deterred by our remorse. This powerful wave of destruction in King David's family was unstoppable by any means except by the hand of God. See, it was only God who can limit, limit the power and effect of sin. It is only by the hand of God that we are kept from death. It is only by the hand of God that we are saved from our own decisions and our own sinfulness and our own deception. For all of the intrigue that's in our own lives, for all the error that's in our lives, for all of the destruction that has come from it, we can't dig ourselves out, but our God can. God can pick us up out of the rubble and set us on our feet again to new strength and new life. See, we recognize this in our own lives. For you, for me, for, for all of us, we have already let sin loose. You, you've already known some devastating effects of sin in your life. Your, your family has already known ramifications, shockwaves of your sin into your family. Those aftershocks can go on for years. But our God can and our God does intervene. 
to bring hope where there was no hope. You know, one of the greatest benefits of being near to God is the calming effect that God has on your life. This world is spinning out of control. You read it in every headline, there is chaos on every corner. But our God brings calm. And if you are not near to Him, this world is going to chew you up and spit you out. It's going to take your family with it. What God does, He brings this calm. And the way He does it is He says, you are forgiven. And, and all of the guilt that presses down in on us, and, and this, this guilt that, that limits our breath, can no longer break it. When, when the guilt of sin begins to break our bones so we can't move any longer, God says you're forgiven and brings peace in places where peace has never been attainable before. You say, if there's any situation in your life that comes near to the level of dysfunction and drama as King David's family, it is only by God's presence can repentance come. It's only by the hand of God will peace come. And in fact, we know places and times and relationships that seem forever broken are healed by the name of the Lord. Healing we once thought unthinkable begins to happen because of the power and presence of God. You know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a holy moment that happens just before our reverse text for this week. And it's this holy moment that we see in this wild story of, of, of intrigue and error. In, in, in one particular moment, David is this reflection of God. And if only for an instant, he seems compassionate. You see, there's this scene right before the battle in the forest where David tells his army, and David tells his commanders, he said, I know you're going into battle for me. And there is an enemy coming that is seeking your life. But the leader of that army is my son. David tells his army, be gentle with them. See, this, this is an impossible task to tell the army as they go into battle to be gentle. At least it was for Joab. But David, he still cared deeply for Absalom, even though he was the enemy. You see, this is a perfect reminder for us of Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 8. Because what we learn from Scripture is that all of our sin is treasonous to God. And in all of our sin that has brought great destruction into our own lives and destruction into our families, all of the ways that we have fought against God or we've run away from God, all of the ways that we've turned our back on God, 
These are treason. These are us choosing sides in the great battle of this earth. Us telling God, I choose them. I'm on their side. And God, he, he seized past your treasonous behavior and he sees you as a child. A child who can become a full heir by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't like to admit this either, but more often than not, we find ourselves acting like Absalom, running rashly ahead of God, using someone else's sin to give us permission to sin, causing more problems as we try to fix what we think needs to be fixed. But your end doesn't have to be the same as Absalom's end. We see in this text, he dies hanging in that tree. You don't have to know that pain because Christ went to the cross for you. And today, even as you run away from God, God is calling you home. calling you a child instead of an enemy. He says, come home. Come be with your heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we love you. We're, we're grateful for this time and this opportunity to come and study your word together. And we, we pray, Lord, that you would give us your grace. Lord, every one of us have known the devastating effects of sin in our life. And we pray that you would heal us. And we pray that you would heal our families. For all the ways that we have failed as parents, we say forgive us. For all the ways that we have failed as children, we say forgive us. For all the ways that we have failed as a sibling, we say, forgive us. Lord, we cry out to you. Lord, heal us and bring reconciliation. Heal families and make us whole. Lord, we're, we're tired of fighting the effects of our sin. And Lord, we're begging you to heal and make all things right. It's in the name of our Lord and risen.